Matthew chapter 5 is where we're at. If you want to stand, we're going to read the Word of God, and then we'll pray and get started. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Father in heaven, we want to be happy. God, I believe that every man, woman, and child in this room wants that. We want to live a blessed life. We want to be fortunate, satisfied, enriched. Father, we ask your forgiveness when we pursue those things in places that you've told us not to. Father, forgive us when we leave you out of that pursuit. And Father, I ask you to just show us today what the path to happiness is. God, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So, obviously, the main word in the Beatitudes is the word that occurs over and over again. It's the word blessed, okay? So what does that word mean? Well, if you look it up in a Greek lexicon, you're going to find several different translations. Um, my favorite is happy. Um, that I like that. Some people do not like that. Uh, we have some folks here in the church that we've had a bunch of discussions about does blessed mean happy or is happy more of kind of a whimsical, you know, the way I feel when I get my Dairy Queen blizzard, you know, versus like a deep and abiding joy type of thing. And, and I, actually, I, I don't care how you translate it. Any one of those will work. I like happy. I, I just do. Uh, maybe I like to be happy, uh, but it's, it's in the Greek lexicon. So I think that's a pretty good translation. If if you hate that translation, then every time I say happy, you just twist it in your head to make it whatever you want, all right? Blessed or fortunate or satisfied. Um, but that's what it means, okay? It, 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 that's what it's talking about. And, and, and here's what's clear. Here's what's really cool to me is that right now I know there are 7.5 billion people on this planet and every one of them is looking for happiness. Isn't that an interesting thought? Every one of them is looking for happiness. You know, isn't it interesting to think about that every decision that you've made in your life to this point and every decision that you'll ever make really is a reflection of your pursuit of happiness. So you, you have pretty much done what you've done and decided what you've decided and gone the direction that you've gone basically pursuing your happiness. You've made your decisions Basically thinking, man, this, this, this is the way that's going to bring me happiness, right? I mean, that, that's the way we function. I, I don't really know that man can function another way. Uh, not, now, man is wrong about it a lot, okay? Uh, and we know that because people are pursuing happiness in radically different ways, right? Of those 7.5 billion people, man, there's people pursuing happiness in all kinds of different ways. I, I would just even 
I, I, would, I, would, I would have you imagine your neighborhood, right? So in your neighborhood today, there's probably somebody who's getting married soon. And you know why they're getting married? Because they believe it will make them happy, right? On the same block, more than likely, there's somebody getting divorced. And you know why they're getting divorced? Because they believe it will make them happy. Isn't that strange? I mean, I've had, I've had those people in my office. I've had them in there when they were getting married, and then I've had them in there a decade later when they were getting divorced, and they told me both times, why are you doing that? We're doing that because we believe this is what's going to make us happy, right? Today on your neighborhood, you've probably got somebody that's eating carrots for breakfast, you know, celery, tofu, maybe a little packet of tuna. And why are they doing that? Because they believe that that type of eating is going to make them happy. In the same neighborhood, you got some old boy that ate 10 glazed donuts this morning and he's going after a box of Twinkies this afternoon and he's doing it because he believes It'll make him happy, right? You got somebody in your neighborhood that's going to spend two hours this afternoon on a treadmill. They're going to sweat. They're going to endure pain and suffering, and they're going to gut it out. Why? Because at the end of that, they believe there's happiness there in that kind of life. And in the same neighborhood, you got somebody that's going to sit down for two hours in the recliner with a bag of Doritos and a remote control and watch people run on a treadmill, you know, because they believe it's going to make them happy, You've got guys in the oil field who literally are tearing their bodies apart, working 80 hours a week. Why? The pursuit of happiness. You've got other people in our community that are working as little as they possibly can. Why? For the pursuit of happiness. Do you see what I'm saying? You've got people searching for it in all different ways. You have people searching for happiness at the bottom of a bottle. You have people searching for happiness in the high of heroin. You've got people, some people searching for happiness by having babies. And then you've got other people moving to Florida to gated communities where they don't allow any children. Why? Because they believe that's the path to happiness. I just got to get away from kids, you know. People are searching for happiness in all sorts of different ways, various ways, contradictory ways. And, and you know what's the really funny thing? you got some people that, that have done all those their whole life, right? Like, like they went through a carrot phase, they went through a donut phase. They went through a treadmill phase, they went through the recliner phase. They went through, I mean, they, I'm not talking about different people. I'm talking about the same people pursuing happiness in various ways. And so who's right? Well. I would make the case to you this morning that there is one person who is infinitely happy, okay? There is one person who is infinitely blessed, infinitely enriched, infinitely fortunate, infinitely joyful, and that's God, okay? Now, we're running a little short on time. I packed too much into this sermon, and so I'm not going to read these verses to you. I tried it in the first service, and I got a little behind. So I'm just going to tell you, these are the ones I had selected. Genesis 9, 26, Genesis 14, 20, Genesis 24, 7, 1 Chronicles 16, 36. I'll read that one to you. It's short. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be the Lord. Psalm 41, 13, Psalm 72, 18, Psalm 104, 1. Uh, they, they all say the same thing. That was kind of my point in, in showing you this smackling of scriptures is, is this. The Bible is very clear. God is blessed. God is blessed. So, so over and over again in, your, in the scriptures, you're going to hear God is the blessed one. God is the fortunate one. God is the happy one. God is the joyful God. God is from everlasting to everlasting blessed. He is glorious in splendor and in majesty. God is blessed, right? And so you, you've got 7.5 
billion people pursuing happiness in about as many ways, but you've got one infinitely happy being. Here's the good news today. Are you ready? God is willing to share. Did you hear that? God is willing to share. You've got one infinitely happy being in the universe, and that God is willing to share. In fact, God sent his own son to live the perfect life and to die a death on the cross and to be raised from the dead and to offer you the opportunity to repent of your sins and put your faith in him, that you might be connected to him, that you might be joined to this infinitely happy, joyful, enriched, fortunate, blessed God. God, that's the gospel. The gospel is God is sharing his life. You can be connected to the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. It demands faith, okay? Because, because the kingdom of God, as it is presented by Jesus, is nothing like what everybody in your neighborhood is telling you happiness is about. In fact, I would say to some degree, the very opposite approach is being taken from the kingdom as, being to, as is being lived out in the world. So, so when the world looks at the Beatitudes, it says there's no way, right? I mean, when the world looks at the Beatitudes and Jesus says, all right, here's the path to happiness, to be poor in spirit, to, be, to mourn, to be meek, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be merciful and a peacemaker, that's not the path the world is taking, is it? Man, when, when, when you talk about what is the world, what, what are the pursuits? Well, we've listed a whole bunch, but let me, let me, just, let me just summarize some of those. The world says you need, to, you need comfort to be happy. happy. You, need, you need wealth, you need possessions, you need the applause of men. You need the glory of men, the approval of men. You need to, you need to believe in yourself. That's really big today. You, you need to believe you're somebody special. You need to be proud of yourself. You need to indulge your desires. You need to be self-sufficient. You need to be catered to. But I'll tell you, when you work that out, I, I, I'll agree with you that sin has some immediate pleasures. But when you work that out, that has a 0% chance of making you eternally happy. Zero. Right? So Jesus offers a radically different way. Now, let's put this in context. So Matthew 3, John the Baptist steps on the scene. What, what does he say? First thing he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right? Jesus is baptized. He goes through his temptation in the wilderness. Chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus steps on the scene in his public ministry. And what does he say? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? What's he saying? The king is here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You can be in the kingdom, right? And then he begins the beatitude by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, all right? So what I want you to see is all of this is related to the entrance into the kingdom of heaven. In fact, I would tell you that the first couple beatitudes are actually the doorway into the kingdom. In other words, you're not going to get in the kingdom unless you obey, unless you embrace, unless you believe this new way of living that is the kingdom of heaven. All right, and so what, what is the gateway into the kingdom of heaven? Well, verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what does that mean, poor in spirit? Okay, now normally when we think of poor, we think of finances, okay? And rightly so, it's used that way very much. The definition of poor is someone who is humble in regard to their own capacities. They're dependent on others for support. They're a beggar, maybe. But here, here's the definition I want you to work with, okay? Because this, this one works well, I think. A poor person is someone who doesn't have enough, okay? Doesn't have enough. So, so think about it this way. They walk into the grocery store. They walk into Walmart. They walk into... 
um, the car lot. They walk into the real estate office, and they don't have enough. They don't have enough to obtain what they're after, right? Now, normally we just think of that in terms of finances. But if that were what Jesus were saying, if all he is talking about here is finances, then he would be saying that the path to happiness is financial poverty. Now, if that's true, did you guys see we started construction on the homeless shelter at 17th Street there? Did you Right as you passed the tracks? If that's true, that's really silly. Why did we do that, right? Why do we do that? If, if the path to happiness is financial poverty, then when people come into Pastor Gary this week, you know, who are homeless and who've you know, gotten kicked out of their apartment or whatever and they're destitute, instead of helping them, Pastor Gary should shake their hand vigorously and congratulate them that they've arrived, right? You know, he should say, wow, you know, you made it. Good job, okay? But obviously the Bible says, no, we're we to help them out of poverty. And so, so clearly Jesus is not saying the path to happiness is financial poverty. Now, I do believe that finances work into that. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. But, but for, for the sake of, of our text, I believe he's talking about not having enough spiritually, okay? So poor in spirit, all right? So, so basically when you think of poverty of spirit, basically you're talking about people who don't have enough righteousness, who don't have enough moral merit, who don't have enough goodness, who don't have enough spiritual collateral to get to God. They don't have enough to be pleasing to God. They're spiritually bankrupt. They don't have enough to fix themselves. They don't have enough to overcome their sin. They are dependent on God. And so when you think of it that way, then Jesus is saying, okay, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but you're not going to get in the kingdom unless you realize you are utterly and completely dependent upon God. Nobody's getting into the kingdom thinking, well, man, I'm a pretty good person. I'm a pretty good guy. I got things overcome. I don't sin like other people. Well, no, you're, you're never going to get in the kingdom of God. You, you're never going to be on that path that reaches happiness. You can't get there unless you're poor in spirit. Now, maybe you're out there and you're thinking, all right, I know he's saying that, but he just doesn't know how awesome I am, okay? I, I, I would just encourage you to read the Sermon on the Mount this week, you know, and tell me, tell me with an honest face that you have obeyed everything, that you can obey everything on your own in the Sermon on the Mount. Let me give you a little preview, okay? Are you ready? Matthew 5, 22. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Verse 27, you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Verse 38, you've heard that it was said an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Verse forty. Uh, 44, but I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. How about chapter 6, verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, uh, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, about your body, what you'll put on it. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? I, I would just say just those six verses that everybody in this room would have to honestly admit, no, I've not done that. Now, I've blown it in regards to anger and in regards to love, lust and in regards to anxiety and in regards to how I treat people that treat me really bad, right? When you read the Sermon on the Mount, you can't help but say, God, I'm helpless. God, I, I, I need you. That, that, that's what it should do. You should say, God, I'm out of gas. God, I, I don't have enough. I don't have enough. I cannot live this way without you. And so what we, what we find when we think about 
the Beatitudes, when we think about the pursuit of happiness that 7.5 billion people are on, one of the first pillars of that is humility, okay? I'm going to give you two pillars today, and the first one is humility. And so when you think about the pursuit of happiness, the pursuit of the blessed life, one of the pillars there has got to be humility. In fact, I would tell you this. I think there are million, billions of people who will never be happy in this life or in the life to come because they are prideful. Pride is what keeps them from happiness. Pride is what keeps them from the blessed life. And and again, remember, the Beatitudes are kind of like the front door to the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But if, if you're not poor in spirit, you can't get in. Let me give you some evidence of that. Luke chapter um, 18. Listen to this story. Jesus told this story. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. He might even pointed some out. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, here's what Jesus says about those two guys. This man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Did did you see that? The guy's a good guy. He's never getting in the kingdom. He will never find the blessed life. He will never find happiness. Why? Because he can't humble himself. You know what Jesus said in Matthew 18? He said, he called a child to himself in verse 2, put him in the midst, and then in verse 3 he said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Did you hear that? Never. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven unless you become like a child. You, you know the neat thing about children? They have no problem being dependent. They, they don't have any problem being dependent. I, I'm always amazed at our little guy. He's got as much energy. I mean, the dude could run, you know, I mean, he, his engine could rev at 6,000 RPM if it's something he wants to do. If it's something he doesn't want to do, like if we're walking into Walmart from the car, it might only be 100 feet, but he gets out of the car and he's like, you know, carry me, you know, I can't go another step. You know, I mean, he just doesn't have any trouble saying, I give, carry me, you know, I'm dependent. Adults don't do that. We have more pride more self-sufficient i don't think you, have you ever done that you know you get out of the car and you're just like i can't do it honey carry me you know you, know, I don't, you probably don't do that you know why but children do children do because they're dependent right jesus jesus is saying you got to become like a child you you you've got to you got to understand you can't do this you're not good enough you you need god humility brings you to god to dependence there's there's a great verse i've encouraged you to memorize it many times because it's so handy james 4 6 it says god resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble and then as if you might miss it if you turn your pay bible a couple more pages two i think first peter 5 5 the next book says the same thing god resists the proud but gives grace to the humble let's say that together i think that'd be good for us god resists the proud but gives grace to the humble again god resists the proud but gives grace to the humble 
Pride will keep you from happiness. I think some of you know that. I think some of you can look at your life and and you can see how your own pride has kept you from the blessed life. Humility is a willingness to say, I'm the problem. And God, I need you. It's, It's a relentless dependence on God. It drives us to God. Tim Keller told a great story about uh, G.K. Chesterton. The London Times, the newspaper in London, was running this series on what's the problem with the universe. And so they asked all these big hitter writers to submit a column, you know, and they were going to run them in successive days about what's, what's the problem with the universe. So if you're a G.K. Chesterton, he's, he's, he's a good writer, but he uh, submitted his column. It was one sentence, and, and here's what he wrote. He says, the problem with the universe is me, signed G.K. Chesterton. See, he understands that. You know, we, we want to, what do we want to do? Pride wants to blame it on everybody else, right? My spouse, my family, my job, my, the, the problem with the universe is my own sin. It's, it's me. So I think a lot of you are going to say, well, if that's true, then, then kingdom people, people who are in the kingdom of God, they're, they're just going to be these timid people who never try anything, never attempt anything, never do anything great because they're, they're just so beat down. You know, I'm nothing, I can't do it. You know, that's actually not true. The opposite is true. And let me tell you why. Because poorness of spirit, humility drives you to God. When you come to God, you plug into a power not your own and you are able to accomplish far more than you ever could on your own. There's a great example of this in Scripture in 2 Corinthians 12. So the Apostle Paul has this hard thing in his life, this thing that's just beating him down, and he prays to God. He calls it his thorn in the flesh. He prays to God three times. God, take it away. God, please take it away. Take it away. Have you ever had something like that in your life? You know, it was just so hard, so painful, and you pray to God to take it away. God, God wouldn't take it away. Instead, here's what God said to Paul. He said to him in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 12, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul changes his tune. Listen to what he says now. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. See, that's what humility does. Humility drives you to God. You know, I think one of the ways you can judge your humility, how relentlessly dependent upon God are you? How, how much your prayer life is a great indication of your humility. If you're the type of person that you prayed Monday morning and you prayed Friday evening and that was good for the week, you are not humble. You're not, you think you can handle it yourself. You went the whole week thinking, I can do this. You know what humility does? Humility makes you painfully aware you can't do this. You can't root sin out of your life. You can't be like Jesus. You, you can't be a kingdom person. You need him. And, and humility drives you to be dependent upon God. And that's when things start happening. That's when, that's when mountains start moving. That, that's when people start getting saved. That's when disciples start getting made. It's when you relentlessly depend upon God. And so humility is the entrance into the kingdom. It's the entrance into Becoming really effective in a happy life. My little guy, my three-year-old, loves drones. You guys know what I'm talking about? Those little drones? 
And so like for his birthday, Christmas, you know, we, we get him a drone, but, but he's also really independent and he thinks way more of his skills than he should. Okay. And so as much as we try to help him, he demands to do it himself. Which means that those little drones that we buy him, we buy them the cheap kind at Walmart, they last anywhere from two minutes to two days. I think the shortest was two minutes, the longest was two days, okay? You know, and because he, he flies them into stuff. Crash, 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 crash. The propellers break, they fly, they crash even worked. All the propellers break off, and then he's sad, Right? So sometimes it's just a couple minutes of happiness and then it's misery and sadness and dad, fix it, fix it. Fix. So I'm like, I can't, you destroyed it, you know? So Pastor Daniel saved the day. Pastor Daniel has an expensive drone. He's got a nice one, right? And the really cool thing about this drone is it has two controllers, right? And so he gives Colt the one that enables him to make it take off and land. Okay, now, he doesn't know that's all he's doing, but that is what he does. So whenever he wants it to take off, he pushes that button. Sure enough, it takes off. Well, once it's up in the air, Pastor Daniel is actually controlling it, right? You know what we've got? Happiness. <laughs> Happiness. He, every, every time he comes in, Pastor Daniel's got to leave it at home because he, he, every time Colt comes in, that's all he wants to do is go in there and fly because he's like, I'm an awesome pilot, you know? I mean, now, like, the thing takes off and he's doing flips and he's, you know, buzzing and all over. He's like a fighter pilot, you know? All of a sudden, he's got these skills. But what really has happened is he's become dependent on someone who can actually do it. I wonder if there's some of you in here, you've been crashing your life Maybe your whole life, you know, and you've been you've been demanding to do it. And it's just crash after crash after crash, broken relationships, broken finances, broken, a broken life. You know what the kingdom of God is? It's when you finally say, God, I need you. Humility. God, I'm going to relentlessly come to you. God, I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to listen to you. I'm not going to do my own thing. I I just mess it up. I just crash it. And so God, poor spirit, enter the kingdom of God. It's relentlessly depending on God. It's eyes on God. Man, humility is so refreshing because it is so exhilarating to have your eyes on God, to to be fascinated with God and interested in God and calling out to God rather than eyes on self. Man, it, it, it is misery producing. And, and I know the world says the opposite. The world says, man, you need to be all about yourself. And yeah, man, that's, that's misery. It is that path to happiness is to be all about God. I'm doing a little experiment. Um, I, I have this theory. I haven't always believed this, but I have this theory. I have this theory that I don't believe anybody really pays attention to me. Like, honestly, like in life. Not, I'm not talking about in this sermon, but like just like going through life. Like, usually you think that like, you know, you, you got to perform and you got like everybody's watching you. And, you, you know, so I, when I went to Africa, my, I got my, my favorite pants. I got them. St- I don't have them on now, but I got them stained and uh, can't get the stain out. But they're my favorite pants. And so, like, I'm doing this experiment. I just wear them anyway. I don't think anybody ever notices. Like, I wore them all day yesterday. I wore them to a discipleship group, uh, two basketball games, and a funeral. I'm convinced. Nobody knew, you know? 
I, I mean, I just don't think anybody's paying attention. Anyway, it's just it's kind of a social experiment. But, but what I'm saying is, it's so refreshing to not worry about yourself. Just have your eyes on God. Yeah. I had a wife really mad at me in the second service. She says, my, wife, my husband wears stained stuff all the time, and you just reinforced it. You know, That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just, I'm just saying, a God-focused life, man, it, it's the path to happiness. All right, so let's transition to the next one, okay? So, so if you think of verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for there's the kingdom of heaven. That's kind of the interest in the kingdom. Okay, I, I, think, I think blessed are those who mourn is, is right on the tails of that. I think it's the next step, okay? And, and I think they go together. Now, again, this is one of those that the world can't understand, right? I, th- I think if you say, what's the path to happiness? Well, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. They're going to be like, Okay, so you're saying happy are the sad, right? Yeah, that's what we're saying. Happy are the sad, that doesn't make any sense. That's like saying alive are those who die. <gasps> Jesus said that too, you know, didn't he, huh? Right, so th- this paradox thing, it's okay in the Bible. We, we just gotta trust him, all right? So, so it's not just sad about anything, I, I don't think. No, 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 don't. It, it is mourning over a particular thing, which I believe is your sin. Let me show you where we find this in the scriptures. So Paul helps us out greatly in this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, okay? It's a particular kind of mourning, a particular kind of grieving, all right? So 2 Corinthians 7 says this, As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief. That's what he's talking about. It's that kind of mourning. So that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces what? Repentance. All right. So this kind of mourning, this kind of godly mourning produces repentance that leads to salvation. And then I love that little phrase right after that. Not to be regretted. You'll never regret that kind of mourning, that kind of weeping. And so, so the scripture is talking about a, a sadness over sin that brings repentance, that triggers the response of God. They shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You know, you know what's really a cool thing? The word comforted is perikaleo. It's the same word that Jesus uses for the Holy Spirit in John 14. Same word, the helper. You'll be helped by God. You, You'll be comforted by God. All right, so, so let's, let's put our, our big foundation pieces in, okay? So, so when you think about the pursuit of happiness, it's related to the kingdom of God, right? Jesus is saying, man, the blessed God invites you into his kingdom, all right? But you can't get into the kingdom without humility, right? That's the first one, humility. Okay, now let me give you the second one. The second one is this. Sin always brings misery. Here's the sad thing. We don't all believe that. Isn't that sad? We don't all believe in this room that sin brings misery. I know, you know how I know that? Because we keep going back to it, don't we? And, and why do we do what we do? Let's go back to the very beginning of this, the sermon, 7.5 billion people on the planet. What are the, why, why, why has everybody done everything they've done in their life? The pursuit of happiness, Right? All the decisions they've made, all the choices they've made, they're, they're making those choices because they believe ultimately it's going to lead to the blessed life, to happiness. And so when you've got people that keep going back to sin, what does that mean? That means we're not convinced that Jesus is right here, that sin brings misery. In Galatians chapter 6, I really like what Paul says. He says in verse 7, 
Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh, that's sinful desires, the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. That word corruption means to go from better to worse. It means your life gets worse. Okay? The the Bible's clear about that. Sin will make your life worse. Now, I know you can make the argument that sin has a temporary pleasing, some sin has a temporary satisfaction attached to it. I agree with you. Satan is no dummy. He baits the hook. But sin never, ever, ever can lead to ultimate happiness, to forever happiness, to, to a blessed life. It can't lead to that. Sin leads to death. The wages of sin is death. And so when, when the Bible says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, right on the heels of blessed are the poor in the spirit, for there's the kingdom of God. He's saying, blessed are those who realize, man, I, I got nothing. I'm empty here. I got to completely depend on God. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be broken over my sin. Because that brokenness leads to repentance. That repentance leads to life. This, this helps you understand the rest of the Bible. I, I, I bet you anything, if you've ever read through the book of James, I bet you read this verse and thought, huh? You know, let, 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 me, let me read it to you, okay? Um, I'll just read just the verse, and then we'll, we'll get the context, okay? Um, verse 9, ready? Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. How about that for a happy verse, huh? Huh? Uh, memorize that put it on your on your mirror in the morning all right wake up every morning be wretched mourn and weep let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom man what a downer huh okay let's get a little context though let's read the verse right before it all right so the verse right before it says verse uh what is that eight draw near to god and he will draw near to you cleanse your hands you sinners so so who's he talking to that helps right he's talking to people in their sin Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. You know what a double-minded man? He's an unbelieving man. He's a man who doesn't trust God. So that's what double-minded means. So cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your So he's talking to people who are in their sin, who are unbelieving. They're not trusting Christ. And then he says, verse 9, be wretched and mourn. You ought to mourn over that. You ought to weep over that. If you're laughing, you ought to stop laughing, and you ought to start crying over your sin. The next verse, verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And then what happens, guys? He will exalt you. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Right? So, so let's, let's put this in, 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 in a frame of reference. So, so God is infinitely happy, right? God is infinitely happy. God has established a kingdom, and he's invited you in. Right? John came preaching, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus came preaching, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's inviting you into the kingdom. But nobody gets in the kingdom unless they humble themselves. Right? Remember? Matthew 18. He puts a little child in front of him. He said, nobody's getting in the kingdom unless they become like this child. You, you, you got to be poor of spirit. You, you got to realize you can't do it on your own. You don't have enough. You got to depend on God. You got to be radically dependent on God. Humility is the first foundation piece of the pursuit of happiness. All right? And then from humility, we go to the second piece, which is being broken over your sin. Realizing that sin 
always leads to misery. Man, I'm telling you, that little phrase will save you. It'll save you from all kinds of misery. If just when you're going through your life and you're tempted to lust, you know, and there's that, there's that anticipation that Satan baits that with of, of, of happiness and thrill. If you'll just come back and say, man, Galatians says no. You can't deceive God. You can't mock God. He who sows his own flesh will reap corruption. Sin will lead to misery. Whenever you're angry, and man, God is just, or not God, but your, your own flesh is just tempting you to say, man, you deserve to be angry, and you are justified in your anger, and I can't believe that that was done to you, and you deserve to hold on to that. I want you to remember, sin always brings misery. You can't plant that in your life and expect that good things are going to come up. Anger, bitterness, resentment, that's not the path to happiness. Anxiety. Man, you can't lay in your bed and think, man, I, I got to work it all out. I got to worry about this. I got to run this in my mind a thousand times rather than just trusting God. That's not the path to happiness. That's unbelief. Sin will never bring happiness. But God is infinitely happy. And he's calling you into his kingdom. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are humble. Man, I just, I just wonder how many people never, never get to a happy life because they can't let go of their pride. Blessed are those who mourn, for they should be comforted. How many people never just, just radically believe that Jesus is right? And instead of guarding your sin, you know how we guard our sin, don't you? Like we know that we got sin in our life, but we hide it and we cover it and we keep people from seeing it because we know people see it, then we'll have to deal with it. And so we hedge it and we make excuses for it. Man, you're just keeping yourself from happiness. Bring it out in the open and weep over it, which leads to repentance, which leads to life. Man, isn't it awesome that God wants you to be happy? Isn't that cool? You know, and, and I hear people saying that all the time, but when they say it, it's wrong. <laughs> when I say it's right, when they don't. No, if, if they mean what I just said, what the Bible just said, they're right. But you know how I hear people saying that? They, they use that phrase. They say, well, I want to do what I want, even though it's against God's word, but I'm going to justify it because God wants me to be happy. You won't ever be happy. You can't be happy down that path. It doesn't lead there. But God's calling you into his kingdom. And that begins with humility. And that begins with actually being broken over the sin in our life. Repenting and turning to God. Let's do that right now. Father, we come to you, Lord, empty-handed. God, we come to you full of need. God, we come just admitting that, God, we can't obey this sermon on our own. God, we can't be the people that you've called us to be. We can't be in your kingdom by our own strength, God, but we are, we are in need. We need you, God. We relentlessly and desperately need your grace and your power. We need your spirit. We need the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. God, we need you. And so, Lord, help us to learn dependence. Help us to learn what Paul learned, that when we're weak, we're actually strong. God, I pray that you would 
Help us to learn that you resist the proud, you oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. And Father, as, as you bring to light the sin in our life, God, I pray that it would not be a small thing to us, that we would not brush it off as, as little, as insignificant. But God, it would be like cancer. God, that it would be like a disease, that it, it would break our hearts when we see it in our lives and that you would bring us to repentance, that we might have life, that we might have joy, that we might be blessed. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.